Welcome to Valley. If this is your millionth time here, or your first time here, or maybe like your second time here, we're glad you're here. Glad you came back. And if I haven't met you yet, my name is Maddie. And um, yeah, it's a good day. It's a good day to be worshiping the Lord. I really loved what Michael presented us with at the beginning. Um, delighting in God, delighting in our worship. And I think he delights in us studying his word. And, you know, when we open scripture, it has such an opportunity to truly change our hearts and change something in us. And then to be able to corporately give that praise back to the Lord. It's a beautiful opportunity that we have tonight. So glad you're here. Uh, Tonight we're going to be reading through a passage in 1 Peter. And this message is a message of hope that Peter offers. And, you know, sometimes in times of trouble, there's all sorts of cliches that people tell you. And I'm sure, I would bet money you have experienced this, where you're going through something hard and then someone's kind of like, oh, but, you know, just trust God. You're like, cool, thanks. Or, like, it's all going to work out in the end. Um, or, you know, they'll hit you with like a God's still good. And all of those things are true. And I always have a hard time because I have to say like, thank you. Yes, all of those things are true. And I believe that in my head, but right now I'm having a hard time. So that wasn't helpful. Um, and sometimes also, you know, someone might say something like, well, just remember what God says about you. And sometimes you even think like, what is it that God says about me? I don't, I don't even know. I, like, sure, I know. I have the Bible and I've read the Bible. But right now, I just need that reminder. I need someone to like really tell me what is it exactly that God says about me? Because that's what I need to recall in times of trouble or in times of heartache. And so that's what tonight's passage is. Tonight's passage is one of those, this is what God says about you. This is what it means to be the people of God. You can remember it, put it in your back pocket for later, or maybe you need to remember it for yourself for tonight. And so Peter is using what, he, what we'll read tonight as this message of hope is, here is who God says you are as God's people, so that you can have hope in your circumstances. So let's pray before we dive in. Lord, we are grateful that you are here with us tonight, that you listen to the cries of your people and father you know what everyone is facing tonight you know the baggage they brought in you know what distractions they have right now they could be thinking about a million things but father i ask that just in a moment of silence we can take a deep breath father and be in your presence thank you for who you are thank you that we can come before you, come to you, and learn from you in your scripture. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So before we dive into the passage, I want to give a little bit of context to what is going on in 1 Peter. This is a letter written by Peter. But before we even get to that story, of course, let's start with Jesus to see where we're at when Peter is writing this letter. So Jesus obviously has brought the good news of redemption of the kingdom of God. He's died. He's risen again. He's ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He has sent his Holy Spirit as a helper 
to be with believers, and now the gospel is spreading. It is just spreading like wildfire. Post-Pentecost, post the Holy Spirit coming in the book of Acts, believers are now all over in churches. They, the apostles are writing letters to these different churches in the New Testament. Like Paul, for instance, he's writing instructions on how to operate in the body of Christ or how to have an orderly church or telling them that was way off. You were wrong. Don't do it like that. Live like this instead. This is how Christian living should be. This is how you honor one another. And so then we, we get to Peter, this little letter, First Peter, at the end of the New Testament. Um, this letter is Peter writing to a bunch of scattered exiles. That's what the text tells us. So they're not in their homeland. Exile is a word that's used. Your Bible might also say alien. They are a little bit on their own. They're not collected as a body of people. And so this entire book is a message of hope for these exiles on how to live in their circumstances. And they're in all five different regions, Peter lists, in uh, Asia Minor. And they're just experiencing all sorts of persecution, tensions, suspicions, just feeling really alienated. They are the odd man out as followers of Jesus. And so this audience is both Jews and Gentiles. And so we know that Peter is going to use a lot of references to Israel's history in his letter. And the assumption is that the Gentiles would have kind of adopted Israel's history at this point, because now there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's just one in Christ. And so the Israelites are gonna hear about Israel's history and they're gonna be like, oh yeah, that's my history. But now the Gentiles are thinking that same thing. They're thinking, yeah, that is my history. I've adopted, I am now brought into God's people. And so I can relate to Israel's history. So there was just an awareness of what was going on. And so this message of hope is for those who they were just feeling scattered. They were feeling alone. They were not unified. So we'll look at what Peter wrote, and then we'll take a journey through the history and the story of Israel and what uh, these believers were reading and what they were encouraged by in what the Hebrew Scriptures is telling this story of hope. And then we'll look at what it means for us today. So our passage tonight is going to be 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So there are three points that Peter kind of makes, or I should say three um, titles that he calls these believers. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. So we're going to look at these three categories tonight, and then we're going to read through what, like I said, what the Hebrew scriptures, the richness of the texts um, are pulling out for us as it relates to these titles. So first, a chosen people. Um, your, your text might say a chosen people, it could say a chosen race. And just a side note, that's interesting because 
Peter is referring to these people as a race or as a whole people group when they actually are multi-ethnic people group. They're not just the nation of Israel. And so that just clues us into how Peter is thinking about the Jews and the Gentiles are now all one, even though they're scattered across lots of different countries and lots of different cultures. And so this phrase of a chosen people is a reference to Isaiah 43. So I'm gonna be looking at lots of different Old Testament passages. Not a lot of them are gonna be on the screen just because I'm kind of, I mean, obviously we're not gonna read all of Isaiah 43. So I'm just gonna be summarizing some pieces for you. So feel free to turn there if you want, um, but I'll just kind of summarize for us so that we can keep the story moving along. So in Isaiah 43, this passage is about how Yahweh is going to take down Babylon and free Israel from captivity. And so this massive entity of Babylon is, has just captured the people of God. And a lot of it is due to their own mistakes. Um, but the passage said that he's gonna rescue them. He's gonna make a way through the Red Sea, a path through the mighty waters. And that kind of reminds us of, that's kind of what he did at the Red Sea when they were enslaved in Egypt as well. And specifically in verse 20, he writes, Isaiah, I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland. This almost sounds like Eden imagery. To give a drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So he has chosen and he's rescued his people. And he wants you to see, just like he did in Egypt, he rescued his people out of Egypt. He's going to rescue his people out of Babylon. And so now when Peter's audience is reading this, they're like, oh yeah, he could be doing that for me too. Uh, another passage in Malachi kind of about this chosenness, um, it's in Malachi 3. The Lord is remembering those who fear him. He says, they will be mine. I will make them my treasured possession. You know, the idea of being treasured, just this precious gift and finding this belonging in God. And then uh, another interesting one is in the book of Hosea. So you may be familiar with this story, um, but God spoke to the prophet, prophet Hosea, and he told him to go and marry an adulterous woman who was unfaithful. And so Hosea is like, okay, I am aware of the risk. I am going to, you know, if this woman has been unfaithful. There's a really good chance she's going to be unfaithful to me as well. But he listens and he obeys, and he marries Gomer. And so in this time, names are really important. You know, names nowadays is like what sounds nice. And I actually really like, a lot of people joke around of like whatever cliche name is popular right now. I think a lot of them are really cute and nice. And it's really interesting to watch the trends of names come and go. And you see like a really weird one. You're like, who came up with that? But in the Bible, names meant a lot of things. They were really significant. It's like Eve meant life or Peter meant rock. You know, upon this rock, upon you, Peter, I will build my church. Uh, Esau meant hairy because he was hairy at birth, which I think is a bummer name, if you ask me. Um, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which means someone who wrestles with God. You know, Jacob wrestled with God. So in Hosea, God told Hosea how to name his kids with Gomer. And so they had a daughter. And God said to name her Lo-Rahamah, which means not loved. And then they had a son, 
And God said to name him Lo Ami, which means not my people. So they had some other kids too, but not loved and not my people is what God is telling them to name their children. And God says, for you are not my people and I am not your God. And so God told Hosea to name them because of Israel's disobedience. So there's this parallel between this unfaithful wife and Israel who is being unfaithful to God. And in chapter two, there's this really beautiful poem that compares this, this relationship of um, dishonesty, if you will. So the mother, she was unfaithful, she had been disgraceful, and God says, I will turn her into a desert, a parched land, I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, and I will punish her, which just sounds really harsh. <laughs> and then when he's talking about Israel, he says, I will punish her for the days that she burned incense to the Baals, which is false god, she went to her lovers, but me, she forgot. So we have this picture of an unfaithful Israel. And oftentimes, I don't know how often you're reading the prophets or poems in, in the prophets, um, but you might notice that sometimes the passages, they're kind of intense. There's a lot of, you know, like, I will punish you, I will disgrace you, and you're like, whoa. And again, remember, this is poetry. Um, but then it almost seems like at the very end, there's a little note, there's a little but. And it normally is just this little glimmer of hope, or it's just a little promise that God offers. And so I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's almost like God will say, okay, here's the consequences of your actions, but I just can't quite leave it at that. I can't quite leave it at that really bad news. And so at the very end of Hosea 2, says, therefore, I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her, which is the opposite, because remember he said, I was going to dry out your land. He says, I will give her back her vineyards, and there she will sing in the days of her youth as in the day she came out of Egypt. Remember, okay, yeah, when you saved, saved us from Egypt. And then in Hosea 2.23, he says, I will plant her for myself in the land I will show my love to the one I called not my, my loved one. And I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So in the weird names of the children of not loved, not my people, God says, but no, I, I'm gonna change that. There's gonna be a day where I'm gonna redeem that. I'm gonna bring these people back. I'm gonna plant this vineyard, there's, again, that Eden imagery, this abundance, this growth, not a dry and parched land, but again, it will be, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. So he's just going to totally redeem the brokenness that existed. And so God's plan for redemption is just to make his nation his own again. What was an unfaithful Israel is now a chosen people. You are my people. And so when Peter uses the language in these stories, he's talking about Israel's unfaithfulness, but then he immediately, you're reminded of, in Hosea, of God's consistent return of faithfulness. And so these people are God's chosen. They can remember that, and that adds to Peter's message of hope. Okay, so that's a chosen nation. Now let's move to a royal priesthood. 
You guys are learning all sorts of stuff about the Old Testament. We're having a great time. Okay, so a royal priesthood, you're like, oh no, she's about to talk about the priests. Okay, it's good. This is all good stuff. So a royal priesthood, royal is going to be kingly language. Priesthood, obviously, is going to be priestly language. And we've talked about this before here at Valley, but prophet, priest, and king are just different offices that biblical characters held, and they always point to Jesus and how Jesus is really going to fulfill all of these categories. So you can look at most any big primary character in the Bible and could probably put them in prophet, priest, or king category. And sometimes they actually fill multiple roles. So in Exodus 19, we're going all the way back to Moses at Mount Sinai, um, he's talking to God, Moses is, on the mountain, and the Lord says to Moses, tell the people this. So now we're in Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. There's that treasured again. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Moses in this scenario is actually operating both as a prophet and because he's receiving word from God, and he's also operating as a priest because he's on this mountaintop and he's interceding on behalf of the people. He's kind of this mediator. And so Moses is to tell the people, hey, God has a plan, and it is to bring all of you alongside me, and we're just going to make up the whole earth, and we are going to be a whole kingdom of priests we will just be this holy nation together. And so Yahweh's intention from very early on in Israel's history is that that would be the story, that his people would be in this priesthood of communion with God. But the problem for Israel was their holiness. And it was because of their sin that they couldn't maintain that fellowship with God. And they couldn't offer gifts or praises or sacrifices because a holy God couldn't deal with an unholy nation. And so this priesthood was created as a gift to the people so that they could convene with Yahweh. And so the particular family was chosen. Aaron, Moses' brother, was chosen to be the priest. And then that continued down through the tribe of Levi and so that's the gift of the priesthood was given to the Levites. And so that's where the priests always came from, was they were coming from the Levites. And so priests were often chosen, you know, specifically, they were set apart, they were holy, and they were allowed to come near to Yahweh. They had all sorts of things that they had to do. They had to consecrate themselves, be dedicated to service in the temple, they had particular cleansing rituals and sin offerings and burnt offerings to make sure that they themselves were holy and pure so that then they could operate as moderators between Israel and God. So Aaron as a priest points directly to Jesus, who was our great high priest. Hebrews tells us that. And Jesus mediates behalf, on behalf of us but now, of course, we know that it's not the sacrifice of goats or lambs which offer holiness, but it's the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus, that we're now made pure and holy. So if we have priests in the Old Testament, Jesus is our priest, but then also we're supposed to be priests. That's kind of where we're at right now. 
So let's read a couple New Testament passages which will help us understand this. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Okay, so we offer sacrifices, but now these sacrifices are a surrendered offering of ourselves to God. And this is actually what is holy and pleasing, and this is how we worship, is we sacrifice and offer ourselves, okay? Now in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you are now that temple. So we know we have been made pure by the blood of Jesus. And so just as the priests needed to be made holy, to be near to God, now we have that opportunity and we in the church can even intercede upon other people in our community. We can be praying for one another, lifting up people who are hurting in our church, taking on the burdens of friends and community. But this is why it was so important to fiercely protect the temple of God because we need to be seeking out holiness. We have been made holy, we are now the temple, and the priest, and the sacrifice. It's just this image, this temple image that now um, we can adopt in ourselves. So then that leads us to our last point, a holy nation. So we've talked about chosen. The chosen people has already been established, this kingdom of priests. And so then Peter tells these exiles that they are a holy nation. And so he addresses this earlier in 1 Peter 1, which we'll read together. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So just like we ourselves are this living sacrifice, we are this holy temple, now Peter says, okay, so now, now be holy because God is holy. And that phrase, be holy for I am holy, comes up a lot in the book of Leviticus. And again, we won't read, I'm not gonna have you all start reading Leviticus, don't worry. Um, and I think there's a lot of hesitancy specifically about Leviticus. You're like, oh no, a quote from Leviticus, like we, we throw that out. We're in the new covenant. We don't even need to read that. Um, yes and no, uh, just because we are in the new covenant doesn't mean that we can't look to the Torah, the teaching, um, and learn something from it. And what we can learn from Leviticus about holiness is just that um, the book of Leviticus teaches someone, uh, certain things made you unclean, right? Made you impure, like touching a dead body or certain bodily fluids or, um, you know, certain animals that would make you unclean. And so the book of Leviticus just says, okay, well, that's not inherently bad, but you need to be made clean in order to go into the presence of God. And so what we can learn about this is that we can operate differently than the world. 
all of these laws in the book of Leviticus says like the nations are like this and I want you to be like this. And this is how you can be with me and be my people. And so we can know we have already been made clean by the blood of Jesus. I think when you hear be holy for I am holy, like what does Peter mean here? Is this just like a radical call not to sin? Like, hey, try really hard not to sin. Is this like only a call to be set apart from other people? And I think what this means is just as you have been forgiven and just as you have been declared holy, now keep being holy. And Peter said it earlier, we just read it in chapter one. You know, be self-controlled, remain obedient, don't conform to the desires of the world, and then be this, through this guiding power of the Holy Spirit, continue to be holy. So, let me read our passage again, now that we've kind of gone through these three sections. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So to bring it home as we understand that we are a people belonging to God. We have been called out of darkness and into wonderful light and that the purpose then is to just declare praises back to him, back to the one who has delivered us. And for Peter and his audience, what this meant was, despite the fact that they were aliens in their different countries, they were exiles, they were still connected to God. They were both connected to Israel's history and they were connected to other believers who were also scattered. And that they could have the hope because of what God had already brought them through. God has declared them to be his people, even though they were still being persecuted and isolated. So when I think about what this means for us today, it's hard a little bit to understand what an exile means because we live in the West. And although you know our culture really has thrown Christianity out the window, uh, we're not quite an exile. I think, like these people were that Peter was writing about. But maybe you feel like you're in an exile of sorts. And maybe that's kind of up for your own interpretation. Um, But maybe it's like a wilderness of sorts or just a tough journey where you just need some hope. And maybe the journey feels like you're just not really connected to God or you're not that connected to his people or to the church. Or maybe it's just that lack of awareness of who we are, you know, What does God say about me and who does he say that I am again? So my encouragement tonight is to look at Israel's story of hope and to look back as well on your own story of hope. Just as God kept saying like, remember what I did to Egypt and all of the things, all the, the ways I brought you out of that slavery and rescued you and brought you back to my people. So he told his people, look back to Egypt. So I'm saying tonight, look back on your own story. I'm pretty confident that you could probably reflect back on a time when God was there for you in some way. He delivered you from something, spoke to you in a really unique and powerful way, reminded you that you belong to him. And it's really good to remember the promises of God. 
He is often in the business of rescuing us and restoring us. And so maybe this message of hope for you tonight is just to keep going. You know, you've been faithful, now keep being faithful. Keep going. Or maybe your hope tonight is that your circumstances are just not great and there's a lot of uncertainty in your future or there's just a weight in your heart right now. And so, you know, I've been talking so far as like an individual hope, like what is the hope that you personally need tonight? But Peter wanted to make sure that the hope that he was giving to these believers was connected to all of the believers. You know, just because you're scattered, like remember you are a people. You're not just a person of God. You are a people of God. So we, the believers in this room tonight, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. When I look out into this room, I see communities of people who are serving one another, who are bearing one another's burdens, who are caring for people. There's all sorts of things I know that you guys are doing that I don't even know about, of how you are helping build up our church. And so if you haven't heard it in a while, let me say thank you for being a part of Valley. Thank you for being a part of this people. You know, we have been chosen in this room, these specific people, the Lord has orchestrated us all here to be a part of Valley Church. And we get to represent um, just a little sliver of this chosen nation. And then we also can think of all the other churches in Salem that we are connected to as a chosen people. And then globally, you can just think of the generations and generations before us and all around the world that we are connected to in this story. So, with all of that said, he is worthy of our praise. So let's worship God for this goodness that we've learned about tonight. The fact that we were once not God's people, but he's brought us out of darkness and into light. So if you can close your eyes, I'm just going to read our passage one more time, and you can reflect on this as Michael leads us in some more worship. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Lord, we're so grateful for the history that we ourselves can look to in Israel of your faithfulness. So Lord, I ask that tonight in our moment of need, whatever that moment of need is, Lord, you know the hearts of every person in this room, and you are ready to meet them right where they're at, giving them the hope that they need. So Father, we praise you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy. And thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for always bringing us back, welcoming us back into your family. Thank you for being our God. In your name, amen.